0: I know for me, one of the things that I often emphasize just as a person, as a pastor, is giving dignity to the grief and suffering that people go through in life, and to even correct the frequent over-spiritualized answers, responses we get to suffering uh, from fellow Christians, responses, over-spiritualized responses that sometimes betray, in fact, just an awkwardness of being around people's pain and suffering, or maybe even worse, an attempt to fix something that is not easily fixed. Nonetheless, while trying to give dignity to the place of suffering in our lives, it is always appropriate to say that God is worthy of our praise day in and day out. And that giving dignity to suffering shouldn't mean giving short shrift to giving praise to God. God calls us to give praise to God. Now, in giving praise, what we foster also is a sense of gratitude. And modern-day research affirms the power of gratitude. And An article in the Times Magazine from a couple of years ago gives seven things that gratitude does from us, backed by research done from schools like Stanford and Yale, which means we must listen to it. Um... Number one, gratitude can make you more patient. Number two, gratitude might improve your relationship. Number three, gratitude improves self care. Number four, gratitude can help you sleep. Number five, gratitude may stop you from overeating. Number six, gratitude can help ease depression. Number seven, gratitude gives you happiness that lasts. This is great, right? Let's get grateful. It's easier said than done. There is some truth, of course, to the fact that there's a choice involved in gratitude. And yet it's not as simple as just making a choice to be grateful. There are exercises and practices we can do to help foster a sense of gratitude, whether we're Christians or not. And even as Christians, the very simple and well-known practice of saying grace is just a simple and powerful practice to daily and several times a day to say thank you God for providing this food to me and for all the other things in which you've provided. But I believe we still have to dig even deeper into our relationship with God to get a deeper sense of gratefulness. And that's what today's passage Psalm 65 helps us to do. Uh, It is a hymn of thanksgiving and it teaches us what it looks like and feels like to praise God. And David expresses three main areas in which He is thankful to God and calls us to be thankful to God as well. And this psalm is going to teach us that we are to praise God for his reconciliation, his creation, and his provision, past, present, and future. We're called to praise God for his reconciliation, his creation, and provision, past, present, and future. So let's dive into today's text. We'll first look at this idea of praising God for his reconciliation. The first verse says, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. Now, this verse may seem almost like a throwaway verse to us. In here, most of us are Christians, and we understand this idea of praise. And so, praise, praise, praise is the theme of this psalm. And yet, for us who have heard this over and over again, it sounds like the theme is blah, blah, blah. We Christians can argue with each other and with non-Christians on a whole host of topics, right? And there are some... Hot button topics of today like sexuality, gender, racial reconciliation, caring for the poor. And we can have very heated debates about any one of these topics. But let me ask you this question about just this first verse. What is really, what really is more controversial than this truth? And what is even more seemingly demanding than this truth that is stated in verse 1? Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. This one verse tells this overriding truth that determines how we approach any other hot-button topic, hot topic that we could talk about. The truth that praise is due to God tells us that there is a God. This God created all things. That this God dwells on high in Zion and is perfectly good and holy and loving. And therefore, this God requires and deserves our praise our thanks our gratitude this means that this god requires our worship in all of our life in all areas of our life with every thought feeling and action you might have thought it oppressive that god has something to say about sexuality or about gender i tell you that god actually requires so much more than just those areas God requires obedience in all of our lives and calls forth our praise from every area of our life. You can't just worship God on Sunday. You must worship God Monday through Sunday. Now we can have many legitimate conversations about what whole life worship looks like. But we can't forget the starting point of this truth in verse 1. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And when we are, we are having heated conversations with fellow Christians or otherwise, we should ask ourselves, and perhaps even the person we're talking to, is there any agreement on this very point that assumes, again, that there is a creator God? That because he is the creator God, that he is knowable, that he holds us accountable for all of our thoughts, feelings, and actions as he has revealed himself and his design for us? And that this God calls us again to a life of praise to him. If there's any disagreement about really these basic points of the Christian faith, we may just end up talking past each other. Again, this truth, praises due to God, praises due to God can become very rote, very whatever to us in the church. We aren't required to praise God Because he's some big-headed narcissist. We are required to praise God because he is worthy. Because he is perfectly good and beautiful. And he is the epitome of those things. And therefore, the natural response from us should be praise to him. Who is so beautiful and good and loving. And there's the natural outflow of a relationship with him. This intimate relationship with him where we just can't help but be in awe and wonder of who he is. And it means this as well. If we are created to praise God, then it means that praising God ultimately reveals that there's a blessedness of a life lived with God in praise. Now, it's all well and good for the pastor to stand up here and say, God calls for our praise in every area of our life. But this creates a problem for us. We just are not very good at praising God with whole life worship. We can manage maybe once a week. We can manage maybe once a day. But we often find ourselves grumbling and struggling and complaining and all. And missing all all the beautiful goodness of God and love of God that he's revealed to us. We fail to see the multifaceted ways in which God is at work. In which God shows forth his love. In which God is truly good and beautiful. And it's easy, right, in a broken world to focus on the negative things around us. Especially if we are trying to give dignity to the pain and suffering of the people around us. But here's the thing that God jumps to, that David jumps to in this psalm right away. God makes a way for us in our suckiness in praising him. We are taught in these verses that God himself has made a way for us out of the problem of our iniquities and our transgressions and our inability to praise him. These words iniquity and transgressions just simply are olden words to say That we are inclined to do wrong and that we are inclined to rebel against God like bratty children. Now I use this word bratty children very specifically because I find it painfully funny and ironic that as we become parents, which I am, we are quick to point out the ways in which our children lack gratefulness for the ways in which we provided for them, for the ways in which we have done things for them, contrasted with my own heart, our own hearts, of how quick we are to be ungrateful towards God and what He has provided for us and what He has done for us. Verse 3 and 4 says this, You atone for our transgressions. You, God, atone for our transgressions. You chose us and bring us near. God is good enough and loves us enough to deal with our inability to praise Him with all of our life, with a whole life worship. As Christians, we know that on this side of the cross, what Christ has done for us, that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to suffer and die on the cross for our inability to praise him, to thank him, to be grateful to him. And that he would love us so much that he's not just trying to forgive us and wipe the slate clean, but he's in fact reckons us as perfectly righteous as Christ's righteousness is considered our very own. And what that means is that we can draw near to Him. We can draw near to the perfectly holy God because we are also considered perfectly holy as Christ's righteousness covers over us. And so we find that we can now dwell in God's presence. We can have hope for eternal dwelling in God's presence in his perfect, perfect holiness even though we know how broken we are and so we see just even in this reconciling work of Jesus that we are given every reason to praise God for his reconciliation of us to him God could have easily and justly called us to be accountable for our, for our wrongs but he allowed his son to take the penalty For our wrongs, our inclination to be bratty towards him, our inclination to not recognize the praise that is due to him, and yet reconcile us to himself through his great sacrifice. That's the beautiful truth of God's call for us to praise him with all of our life, our inability to praise him, and yet God making a way for us to praise him and live a life with him. And so we praise God for his reconciliation. So David talks about that in the first section of the psalm, but he moves on to talk that we're not to praise God only for his reconciliation, but we're also to praise God for his creation. In this second section, David reminds us that the God of salvation is awesome in power. He points, David points to God's creative power, his sustaining power of this earth, of this universe, and to keep creation going, Sometime, sometimes Eugene Peterson's paraphrase the message. I mean, imagine that you are even smart enough, wise enough, know enough to paraphrase the whole Bible by yourself without a team of people. Sometimes he gets it so beautiful. He says this, in verse, uh, uh, paraphrasing verses 6 and 7 in Psalm 65. He says, earth tamer, ocean pourer, mountain maker, hill dresser, muzzler of sea storm and wave crash of mobs in noisy riot. This is the God who is awesome in his power over all of his creation. Again, he is the, he is the earth tamer, ocean pourer, mountain maker, hill dresser, muzzler of the sea storm and wave crash of mobs in noisy riot. My family and I were just in North Carolina for our vacation a few weeks ago. After driving through Corville Reservoir, one of the kids, uh, just a few days ago, one of the kids said, Hey, let's go to the beach. And we quickly corrected him. That is not a beach. That is a sandy pit next to a reservoir. (laughs) You don't want him to be mistaken at all what a true beach is. It's easy, right, living in Iowa to forget the power of the ocean. And when we're at the beach, one of our favorite things is just to go out into the waves and just fight the waves, right? Just have these pretend battles with the waves. And it's fun because these waves are amazingly powerful. And even as you're doing in a relatively safe way with your children, sometimes you just get, even as a grown man, get knocked flat on your butt. Because sometimes you just don't realize how strong a particular wave is. And I remember sitting at the beach just being reminded of the wonder of God's creation, that the wonder of the tide coming in and out with such regularity, such such predictableness, that we could build these crazy beach houses right in front of the beach and not worry that they're just going to get swept over the next day. God sustains creation with his mighty power. Now, it's interesting in verse 7, it is significant... That David describes God as being the one who rules over the oceans, over the seas. Theologian Willem van Gemeren says about this verse, In pagan mythology, the sea connoted chaotic and life-threatening powers. But Israel knew that the Lord created everything and established his rule over the roaring seas and their waves. By the way, in case you were curious, I believe the Genesis account... The way God tells the creation days, he's trying to say also, God is the one who has power over the ocean and over the land and over all the different things that are named and not these various pagan gods. So it's affirmed again here, God is the one who rules over the sea, these chaotic seas. And so we praise God, not only for his creative power, for his sustaining power, but also for being the God who has power over all things. And in the midst of chaos, in the midst of our own fears in this world, we trust and believe and relate to a God who has power over all these things, over suffering, over pain, over chaos. I really wrestled with sharing this because I'm not sure it's appropriate, but... It's not really my story to tell, but it's been weighing on me. My cousin passed away this week. Um, he was found dead in his bed Thursday morning. We still don't really know what happened. His parents found him there. He's a young guy in tw- late 20s, early 30s. And, you know, I don't, I, we, grew, we grew up far, living far apart, and so I didn't know him well, but every time we had a family reunion, I would see him. He was always this guy who seemed really happy, really jovial, and yet I, I knew he struggled in life. And so when, when I heard this news, I was just really in such shock. Again, we, and again, we still don't know details, but his family are strong believers. And, and, and I know that my aunt and my uncle and my other cousin, his brother, are wrestling with God. Wrestling with God right now. I'm sure they have doubts, they have questions. God, why? Why would this happen? Why would you take... Him away. And I, I certainly hope my aunt and my uncle and my, my other cousin that they have people in their life who really know what it means when scripture says, Weep with those who weep. That they're not getting over spiritualized answers about, Oh, you know, God is good. He has a reason for everything. You know, like, this is not the time for that right now. The time right now is to weep with those who weep. But even saying that, I pray, too, that in the midst of their chaos right now, that they can still yet rest in God, the God who reconciles them, the God who is, has power over all of creation, the God who sustains them. And I pray that God will be their comfort in this time of chaos. And I pray that they know deep in their hearts that they worship a God who too knows what it's like to lose a son. Perhaps you have chaos in your life that you can't make sense of. My prayer for you and my hope is for you is that you continue to turn to the God who is earth tamer, ocean pourer, mountain maker, hill dresser, muzzler of sea storm and wave crash. Of mobs and noisy riot. And I pray that as you do so. As you turn to the God who reconciles. And who creates and sustains. That you will find comfort and rest. And praise in him. Even in the midst of chaos. Let's look at the last section. Verses 9 through 13. And we're going to see that we're to praise God not only for his reconciliation, not only for his creation, but also for his provision. And I'm just going to read these verses again and try to get a sense of the beauty of what's being described here. You, God, visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. You may have noticed that on the cover. The, the, the theme verse for today is they shout and sing together for joy. And maybe if you did look at it, you thought it re- was referencing we humans singing and shouting For joy. But it's actually not talking about humans. It's talking about all of creation singing, inanimate objects singing praise to God. It's really hyperbole. It's saying, this is how great God is, this is how worthy of praise He is. And specifically in these verses, David is telling us that God is the one who provides the channels from heaven to supply water that brings life to the earth. Life to the land, to the crops, to the flocks that feed upon the land. God is the divine irrigation system. Now you have to remember, farming in Israel's time, they they were almost completely dependent on rain from heaven. They had no way of making it themselves the way we know how. Theologian Mark Fittardo says this, Psalm 65 verses 9 and 10 describes the coming of the fall rains that soften the hard soil, allowing for plowing and planting, and that provides sufficient water for abundant new crops and other ve- vegetation to sprout. Verses 11 to 13 takes us through the winter and into the spring when a bountiful harvest is just around the corner, and when the flocks in the fields have all the vegetation they need. It's a description of God being in control over all things, God being the one who provides all things comprehensively. Now, modern farming is certainly not as dependent on God to bring water to grow the crops like Israel was. We can build in irrigation systems. We can send in humongous farm equipment to water the crops. We can import water from other states and countries if we are are that lacking in water. And so modern technology and infrastructure give us humans a sense of a measure of control that farmers back in Israel did not have. And perhaps this sense of human control may even tempt us to think that we don't need God anymore. But we must remember, despite the amazing technology and things that we can do now that could not be done thousands of years ago... Having more control than ever at our fingertips does not make us humans any happier or ensure any more that we are ultimately successful in what we're trying to do. We as humans still struggle with depression, with anxiety, with dissatisfaction. We still need the provision of God in our lives And we still need to praise Him for the ways in which He provides for us. And this picture that's painted in these verses is a picture of a ground so fertile and a crop so abundant that the hills and the valleys and the meadows are singing songs of praise to God together. And David teaches us what it looks like to sing a song of praise to God calls us to join in with him to sing songs of praise to God for his abundant provision, along with all creation. Now certainly, there's poetic hyperbole involved in here, as David is caught up in praise to God, as his heart overflows with thanks to God. And yet it reminds us that there is a practice of seeing God work through the ups and downs of life, and yet also there, there are seasons of abundance for all of us in which we are to praise God even more. It's so easy for us to turn to God only when we are in need. And when things are going well, we forget that God is the one who provides in those seasons of abundance. Let's remember to praise God for his provision through ups and downs, but also in times of abundance. So we've seen that we're to praise God for his reconciliation, his creation, and his provision. But there's also this sense of time that we're to praise in past, present, and future in all those ways. In this psalm, there's this dance back and forth between David saying, look at what God has done in the past. Look at what God is doing now. And yet, at the same time, in the midst of his hyperbolic praise of what God is doing, David is pointing to what God will do in his reconciliation work. In what God will do in restoring all of creation to himself. In what God will do in ultimately providing for us to deliver us from the brokenness, dissatisfaction of this world, from our own sinfulness. He points us. To the awesomeness of the living and the blessedness of God. That we know we can't grasp a hold of in this life. And we wait and long for the day in which Christ returns to eradicate sin and death from this world altogether. And so we look forward to that day of shalom. And so even as we live in this broken world, we thank God for what he has done. We thank God for what he is doing. But we also thank God for what he will do. Romans 8, which you heard read earlier, reminds us of this truth that God is going to redeem all of creation. For the cre- verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so, I end with just this last word: remember. That we live in this broken world and we are groaning and longing along with all creation for the the redemption of the sons and daughters of God, but also the redemption of all things. That God is the one who is making all things new. God is the one who is dwelling in Zion and yet will bring Zion down to earth to replace the brokenness of this life, to bring perfection down to this life. When we are realists and we see the brokenness of this world, when we talk about shootings, that three shootings over three days in our country, we can get down. But we must turn to the God who is worthy of praise and remember the hope that he brings us, the salvation that he promises. And we turn to him even in the midst of great brokenness and say praise is due to you O god and we wait with great longing for that day when we can perfectly praise you with all of our life that we can praise him for his reconciliation his creation his provision past present and future and that one day will come when we will hurt no more suffer no more and we will live in a world where we're perfectly united with god free from the sorrows and brokenness of this world, singing praise to God with all of our life, in every area of our life. And so I pray for all of us this week that we will praise God for His reconciliation, His creation, His provision, past, present, and future. Let's pray.